Holly Searley, MFT, Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist, has been in private practice in the San Francisco Bay Area since 1979. She specializes in ADHD therapy for all ages, as well as couples therapy. Throughout the upcoming conversation, you will experience Holly's dedication to increasing understanding about ADHD and effective treatments for ADHD in alignment with her insights around the trajectory of all relationships. That's a mouthful, but uh, when you start listening to the conversation, you'll see how she really has a big picture understanding about how everything is connected, which is one of my favorite threads and themes on this podcast. Over the years, Holly has worked in schools as a credentialed school psychometrist, which is the person who provides assessments for special education, as well as counseling for all students, K through 12 grades. For decades, Holly has worked with families and couples, and she has also taught other therapists. Holly has presented at numerous schools and conferences, and she has served on several boards related to her expertise on ADHD and co-occurring conditions. Interestingly, Holly has ADHD, inattentive subtype, while her son Dash, who has served on many panels of students who learn differently, also has ADHD, but a combined subtype plus dyslexia or as she and her son say, ADHD turbo type. Holly beams with love and pride when describing her son's many accomplishments despite his ADHD challenges. Loving to share that he teaches PE and math as an assistant at a school for students with dyslexia. And Dash, her son also is a soccer referee. I learned so much about ADHD in this conversation what it is, what it isn't. I got rid of quite a few misconceptions that I have been carrying around for years. And I learned most importantly why we all need to know and understand as much about the condition as we can, because it is affecting all of us in one way or another. And by understanding that fact, we'll all be more motivated to adopt a solutions-oriented mindset towards ADHD when we notice its symptoms in ourselves, in the children we care for, in any of the people we work and live with. And speaking of a solutions-oriented mindset, Holly shared many constructive and even life-changing ways to successfully manage ADHD in young children and adults too. While you're listening to this conversation, if questions occur to you, Write them down because Holly would love to answer your questions in a follow-up episode. I really hope you'll accept her big-hearted invitation to continue this education she is freely offering to all of us. So, welcome to the Big Picture Social-Emotional Learning Podcast. My name is Nene White. Thank you for being here with us. Okay, Holly Searley, thank you, thank you, thank you for finally we got ourselves coordinated to have this conversation. I'm really, yes. I'm I'm fascinated, um, and I think I might ask you some kind of goofy questions, or maybe they will seem 
They will show you my level of misunderstanding or my confusion about this whole topic of ADHD, but I hope you won't take any of it in, in the wrong way. I think you won't, you know, but no. I, I do have a lot of misconceptions, so I bet I'm not the only person who... You have a lot of company. Yes. Even, yeah. even psychiatrists, schools, doctors, pediatricians have misconceptions. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, let's see. ADHD, attention deficit, hyperactivity, what is it? Hyperactivity? Disorder. Disorder. Okay. Yes. So deficit and disorder. That's kind of like, oh, oh. <laughs> I don't think I would want to have that label. It's kind of painful, but um, how can we look at it in a positive way or how should we look at that? Well, that's a, that's a really interesting question right there. My son, who's a young adult, has ADHD. He was diagnosed when he was seven, though we suspected younger. And, you know, there's been this movement for probably two decades to use the word uh, difference instead of disability or disorder. And my son was furious about it. He said, they're not living in my body. This is not a difference. This is a disability. Well, interesting. <laughs> yes, but there are lots of people that prefer it to be called a difference. Right. That it's, you know, a part of the um, other disabled movement of really um, putting the human before the disability. Right. And so, you know, calling it a difference can be helpful. But it's, you know, it really is a neurological, medical brain difference. And there are several genes that contribute to the symptoms. So it is a genetic difference. Yes. Or a genetic disorder or genetic right. disability. Right. Um, and that that's that's something that, that often people don't realize. And, and they think that it's, you know, you can have a little ADHD or a lot ADHD and it is on a spectrum, but it really is a very serious condition. Yeah. Uh, folks with ADHD, all types of ADHD have a life expectancy nine to 13 years shorter than those without ADHD. Wow. And, and in, yeah. I mean, I want to hear what you're going to say, but my mind immediately goes to the, the engine is running so much faster that it gets worn out quickly. But, uh, but <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. just a crazy assumption. So uh, what were you going to say? Yeah, well, there is, there is, uh, you know, with the hyperactivity and impulsivity, there are more accidents. Um, there's more risk taking with that. Uh, type of ADHD, but really what it gets down to is the executive functioning and the dopamine problem oh. that the brain, the ADHD brain 
isn't primed to deal with boredom tolerance tasks. Boredom tolerance. Yes. It's allergic to boredom. <laughs> wow. Uh, ADHD brains, when the person or child is interested in something, can be quite attentive. In fact, so attentive that the brain tunes out everything else and doesn't want to stop doing what it's doing that's so fascinating. So as a result, um, folks with ADHD, if they're really into something, can end up staying up all night. There's a lot of sleep disruption with ADHD, a lot of co-occurring sleep disorders with ADHD. And because of the executive functioning deficits, establishing good habits, lifestyle habits, is really, really hard when you have ADHD. Getting up at the regular time, going to bed at a decent hour, eating proper meals, remembering to eat, having a consistent schedule. And those things contribute to a higher rate of type two diabetes, obesity, heart disease. Nine to 13 years shorter life expectancy. Yeah. That, it's, that's a very serious disability. That's As my son says, that's not just a difference. Right. Right. So, um, okay. So that's all pretty grim sounding. And, um, but you are a therapist for this. What is, what is your exact title? And so you don't leave people just with this grim prognosis. You are there to help them. So right. let's, let's get to the, the what you can do about it right away, please. Okay. And yeah. then we'll go into more details because the more I found out about it, the more I can interpret my son's behaviors, my own behaviors, friends' behaviors in a completely different way that's actually quite, quite helpful. Oh, yes. Especially once I hear what you're going to share with us about how people can live with this in a constructive way. Well, you're naming the very first thing that is important to do when the one with ADHD is a child, especially, or the partner of somebody with ADHD is to educate yourself so that you don't misconstrue behaviors as intentional, willful, bad behavior, rather than these are challenges that this little person or adult person has, and they need some help in learning how to have workarounds um, or to deal with the kinds of challenges in their brain. So pills plus skills, is the research validated approach, medication, effective medication works for about four fifths of folks with ADHD. Mm. One fifth, either the medication that the, none of the medications on the market work or um, they have side effects that just make it intolerable to take the medication. One of the things, sidebar, is that doctors don't always 
unless they're expert in, in ADHD, they don't always let parents and adults with ADHD know that just because one medication gives you trouble doesn't mean they all will. In uh -huh. fact, it's very individual. Okay. There can be, you know, one person can have the side effect of what's called rebound. When the medication wears off, the symptoms are worse. But on another ADHD medication have no rebound effect. Okay. Whereas their best friend who has ADHD needs the exact opposite medication in order not to have rebound. So it really takes on average, a trial of three medications and dosage sizes to figure out what works. And doses are not like aspirin or antibiotics. You can have a little pipsqueak kid on a massive dose in order for it to be effective. And you can have a great big burly bear of a man who is on a micro dose and anything greater is problematic for him. So dosage is very individual. Wow. So, and so pills plus skills. So those, those are the two things that make the biggest difference. Skills encompasses a range of things, including some executive functioning, coaching, education, and learning. Right. Um, sometimes social thinking, there's sometimes, um, there's a need for some training in how to think socially. Such as? Such as um, being able to recognize behavior that is unusual. Getting help with interpreting. Getting help with interpreting others' behaviors or getting help with being able to see one's own behaviors as being perceived as, quote, weird and deciding whether or not you want to continue doing that behavior or not. Weird um, or disruptive or rude or mm -hmm. all kinds of categories, really. Right. right. All kinds of categories. Troublemaker. Yeah. Okay. Troublemaker. Okay. Yeah. So, but the organizational and time management piece, the executive functioning piece is really key uh -huh. for, for adults and kids. And so for kids, it takes parents really helping establish routines, a morning routine and an evening routine, reinforcing it with rewards, um, helping a child, for example, have a checklist of three things in the morning that they do and three things in the evening they do that are uh, regular everyday Sacred, activities. Yes. Yeah. So that they develop you know, for example, um, morning routine, get out of bed, brush your teeth, or eat breakfast, brush your teeth, <laughs> uh, pack your lunch, uh, evening routine, brush your teeth, uh, wind down before bed, lights out. I mean, some sort of you know, series that are reinforced. And then when the child has those routines down, then you add something else in. But developing routines in life is going to help alter that nine to 13 year deficit in lifespan. Yeah. And it will help them 
live a life where they're not paying the penalty tax on ADHD of late fees, uh, tax returns not turned in, <laughs> bills not paid. Yeah, that stuff is the boring, boring stuff that they're allergic to. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So another skill is self-advocacy. So again, it, it takes really understanding ADHD and being able to speak up and say, for example, um, whether they say I have ADHD or not, they can name, name the challenge. Um, I overload with sound around me. Is there any way I can work on this project in a quiet room so that I can concentrate? Um, but being able to- Self-advocacy. Self-advocacy to ask for what works for the ADHD brain. So important. Give me a job on this committee that engages me with people rather than paper. <laughs> Please, if you want me to be successful on this volunteer committee, give me something to do, do with people. Um, but it's so understanding ADHD, being able to ask for what works for you as a person with ADHD or a child with ADHD makes a big a big difference. So yes, there is lots of hope and people who find careers that they are interested in succeed at a high rate with ADHD. Because of that laser focus. Because of the laser focus. So ADHD is overrepresented in the emergency services fields. Wow. Because the task is always now. Got it's it. not something you've got to plan for. You could do later. You could do now. It's kind of boring. It's not boring. It's now. Right. Emergency room docs, higher percentage of folks with ADHD. Stock floor traders, higher percentage of ADHD. Wow. And they do good at those things. Um, courtroom attorneys, if they can get through law school and pass the bar. Right. They tend to love trials the and the engagement and the intensity. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. The creative arts, mm -hmm. dancers, musicians, lots mm -hmm. with ADHD. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know of a young man who was, a, he got a scholarship to college on the violin and discovered psychology and magic and ended up getting a degree in something like the neuroscience of magic, something like that. And he's, he's uh, making a, a huge career as a ma magician. I love that. I get that. That makes yes. so much sense. That, yes. I love when disciplines just that seem so far away get woven together. Get woven together. Yes. 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 Beautiful. So there's, so even though the condition is a very serious one with financial implications, relationship implications, lifespan implications, yes. health implications, there is lots of hope. Yes. Now that we know so much about ADHD yes. and we know what makes a difference. And people with ADHD are really interesting. 
go to a CHAD, Children and Adults with ADHD conference, annual conference. And it is like popcorn. It is so much fun. Yeah. People there are fascinating. They're so interesting. They're in their element because they're learning about themselves or some, you know, or they're a professional with ADHD. Um, and the intensity of interest just makes for a crowd of remarkable conversations. Yeah. Nothing passive about it. Nothing passive about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So I want to ask you a couple of questions about some of the things you've already said. One, one thing that I need you to help me understand, please, is um, because I understand that because it's actually physiological and it's the brain and the neuro, 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 neurology, the neuro. Yeah, it's actually the neurotransmitters, neurotransmitters yeah, and, and, and the reward, the reward system of the brain. Okay. So, um because as soon as people say fix something that's kind of a behavioral with uh, pills, I, everything in me goes, oh, you know, mm. so I need you to help me get over that hump, please. Right, right. So it's not medication that tamps down behavior. It's fascinating. It's, med it's medication that stimulates the dopamine reception in the brain so that it works properly. And dopamine is a motivational neurotransmitter. It's a reward yes. system yes. neurotransmitter. And as a result, things that seemed boring oh, and, wow. and like I'm being asked to climb Mount Everest to right. sit down and do my homework becomes, uh, that's boring, but I can do it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, so wow. it's also that the tendency with the impulsive ADHD of ready, fire, aim, <laughs> <laughs> say it. And then it's like, Ooh, <laughs> or yeah. do it. Whoop. Yeah. Um, that there's the ability to have a gap between the idea and doing it or saying it, there's a little gap there where the not a good idea jumps in. Wow. Wow. Isn't that fascinating? They figured out how to work with that with the brain. How fascinating. Right. And so it's very different than tamping down something yeah. in the brain that tamps down behavior. It's that it actually potentiates the brain to work properly. Right. Because all you hear about is that kids are in school. They're just, you know, I mean, that's what I've heard about where they're just zombified. So that is a really good example of the wrong medication. Correct. When a kid gets flatlined, yeah. Or cardboardish gray Oof. and their personality disappears. Oh yeah, they're they're not causing the teacher to itch anymore, <sighs> but they're gone. Yeah. And it's either the dose is too high in the medication. I'm not a medical provider, 
So this is just what I've learned over the years from others. It's either the medication, and by experience, either the medication is too high or it's the wrong medication. But, you know, the parents of these poor kids really are at the mercy of the doctors they're working with who don't always understand themselves that unless they're experts in ADHD, that that's a side effect that you don't have to put up with. Ah, you try good. a different medication or bring down the dose. Good, good, good. Um, okay, side note. I have I know somebody, I know a couple of people who've taken uh bar or used some of someone who had ADHD, used their medication to get some projects done. What do you think about that? I'm this is totally off topic, but no, it's 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 a really, really important question because well, can I go off on a sidebar tangent for a minute? <laughs> Here we are. We get to make all the rules, Holly. <laughs> okay, good. So one of the things years ago, not that many years ago, that was thought in the substance abuse treatment programs was that if you had somebody who had problems with alcohol or um, cocaine or heroin that you and you diagnosed ADHD that you didn't give them stimulants because they'd get addicted to them. Mm-hmm. Another medication that they could get addicted to or substance they could get addicted to. Well, uh-huh. it turns out the research has shown that folks with ADHD who have a substance use disorder who get treated for their ADHD with stimulants don't misuse them. But one of the myths out there in in the world is that giving a kid stimulants is going to make them more likely to become a drug addict. Well, it turns out not giving them stimulants if they have ADHD, they're more likely to become a drug addict than the general population, not medicating them. Right, because- Because they're seeking to get that, their neurotransmitters regulated and they discover street drugs, which do it temporarily. And they either become dependent or, or addicted. Okay. Whereas the medication- is you know regulates in a more controlled even sort of sort of way and isn't um usually an addictive substance now what you were asking about um so remember that that stimulants potentiate the ability of the brain reward system right so to get something done that's boring yep and so yes stimulant meds will for most people make it easier to concentrate on something that's boring okay this is true the difference is the kid with adhd can't concentrate on his homework and get it done (laughs) the kid without adhd she can concentrate on her homework, but the medication makes it easier right. to concentrate. So there's some sort of ease 
that the medication gives. And so, yes, you know, college students will take the medication and get that paper done that they've been procrastinating on. I've seen over the years students who used somebody else's medication, found it made a difference for them. And when we got to talking, it turns out they have ADHD. They, yeah. It's never diagnosed. Right. So, yeah. um, but the miss, the, the extreme misuse of stimulants is, is when they're, the capsules are broken open or the pills are smashed and they're snorted. That's addictive. Ooh, no thanks. And you. it's not the folks with ADHD who do it. Right. The kids with ADHD may sell their meds to their peers because they like having the money. I see. Yeah. But they don't tend to be the ones that snort their meds. Ooh, I haven't heard of that. Yep. Okay. Um, all right. So that's interesting. I mean, I took someone's one time and I didn't like how it made me feel, although I tend to think from what the materials you gave me to read and having this conversation that I probably have ADHD because I did horribly in school. Uh -huh. And um, but I can focus on the stuff that I care about. Like there's a world. Really? Whoa, never mind. <laughs> Just like <laughs> right. Um, but anyway, um. Yeah. So just, you know, just to reiterate what I was saying earlier, yeah. having a bad reaction to one med where it makes you feel worse yeah. doesn't mean, doesn't mean that you don't have ADHD and doesn't mean that there isn't a medication that could make a difference. Yeah. But yes, you know, because they're stimulants, they, they can, you know, rev up the anxiety system they can make it feel like you've had too much coffee. Uh, yeah. Or they can flatline you. Right. Fascinating. Fascinating. Anything brain science just, it's just fascinating to me because it just, it, it, it makes what we feel and what we experience it, it, it legitimizes it because there's an object, objective way to analyze things. That it isn't all just, oh, it's just in your head, whatever that means, which is sort of a blowing you off kind of a thing. Right. It it actually is in your head. Right. Seriously exactly. in your head. Yeah. Right. This, this <laughs> noggin right here. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it interesting that we use that phrase, oh, it's all in your head, as, as your head is making it up rather yeah. than actually yeah. your head, your brain actually is having a problem with this. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then another thing you said that I wanted to go back to, but I didn't want to interrupt you was about rewards. Um, that's another place where I go, you know, <laughs> ah, yeah. You know, because I love the, the, I love self 
motivation and not external motivation. So when, but I trust that you're wise and deep and loving enough human being that you're not going to be doing something superficial. So let's hear your take on, on. Yeah, no, that's, that's a really important question. And one that a lot of people have not necessarily as well articulated as you're putting it. (laughs) Um, And the discomfort of paying or rewarding a child for behavior that is normal for another kid. But here's the deal is that you use the word external and internal. And turns out that's exactly right. That, but here's what's right about it is that because the reward system of the ADHD brain is impaired, the internal ability to motivate is impaired. Uh 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 So you need external rewards. You need external motivation unless it's something that you're really interested in. And then boom, it bumps up the dopamine. So Mm. it's, it's providing for the child, you know, speaking of children with ADHD and parents of children with ADHD, it's the parents providing for the child, what their brain cannot provide for them. Uh. You know, the pleasure of, I'm going to turn this in tomorrow and I'm going to get a good grade on it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Time blindness. Tomorrow doesn't exist. There's wow. now and there's not now. Wow, wow, as, wow. As Tom Brown says, in ADHD, there's two time settings, now and not now. And not now doesn't exist. Wow, wow, wow. wow. So saying, honey, if you will sit down for 15 minutes and work on that math assignment, we will have dinner right after, and you get to pick the dessert. Or you work on this for 15 minutes. I've got a quarter for you right here. And you've externalized, you've given something that the brain, their brain, it has to be a reward that is salient for them. Got it. Want If they don't like desserts, it's not going to work. Got it. If they don't care about quarters, it's not going to work. But if it's salient for them, it ups the ability of the reward system of their brain to work a little more normally. And it's like, okay, I can do that for 15 minutes. Right. But it has to be provided externally in order for the motivation to happen. So that's one of the things, one of the skills, pills plus skills, that's one of the skills that parents can do for kids, but eventually have kids doing for themselves, themselves. coming up with their own reward systems Got so it. that as adults, they can say to their friend, I really want to go see that movie. I promise you that I'm canceling our agreement to go see this movie if I don't get my taxes done by six o'clock tonight. Got it. 
even that doesn't always work. Sometimes you've got to chunk it down. I promise that I'll work on my taxes for one hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's but it's learning to externalize rewards because the internal system doesn't work properly. Oh, thank you, Holly. That just that just fits. That fits. That makes sense. That's that makes good sense. And it's very respectful. It's respectful. And it's, you know, I think most of us have had jobs at one point in our life that weren't all that interesting. Yeah. But we needed or wanted or liked the paycheck. Right. And so we did the work knowing that later on we were going to do something that was more interesting to us. Right but we did it for the paycheck, but we wouldn't go out and volunteer to do that job even without ADHD if we weren't getting a paycheck. Right. But we're asking our kids to do something that is so boring for their brain mm -hmm. with no paycheck. Mm -hmm. And if we can't do it, how can we expect a kiddo to do it? Uh, <gasps> so compassionate and so... So fair, so very, very fair. Yeah. Um, okay, so is there a way to, well, I don't know if this is, but you, at some point you said that there are rule outs, that some, there are some behaviors and symptoms that maybe a person could say, oh, that's ADHD, but then maybe no, it isn't. So what kinds of things can you tell us about that? Well, one basic one is a hearing test to make sure that the child is hearing properly and isn't checked out because they're not hearing. Oh, I see. Yeah. Oh, I see. But another really important one are sleep disorders. And, you know, we tend to think of adults as having sleep disorders, but not children. But research has been done where we've taken children and assessed whether or not they had symptoms of ADHD or not, and then tested to see if they had sleep apnea in particular. Uh -huh. And a subset of the kids with ADHD symptoms had sleep apnea. Uh -huh. They remedied the sleep apnea. Uh -huh. And for a subset of those kids, the symptoms went away. Yeah. For another subset of those kids where the sleep apnea was addressed, the symptoms got better, but they still had ADHD. Sure. Folks with ADHD have a higher incidence of sleep disorders, including sleep apnea. And sleep apnea, like I said, creates the same symptoms as ADHD. Hyperactivity, impulsivity, inattentiveness, checked out with things that, with things that are boring. Okay. Yeah. Um Okay, and then some of the materials that you gave me, sleep was high, high, respecting sleep, making it regular, making sure it's protected, and then checking for the apnea, um, sleep apnea. And then, and then I was surprised to see that 
there's some really good research on preservatives in food and food dyes. I'm so happy to see that that's coming out. Would you talk yeah. to us? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's, there's, um, there's some great talks. Oh, I'm blanking on her name. Talks and articles, a woman in Florida. Um, she's delightful. Well, anyway, the, to answer your question, um, it turns out food dyes do not cause ADHD and sugar right. doesn't cause ADHD. Right. But for a subset, not all kids with ADHD, for a subset of kids with ADHD, those food dyes make their symptoms off the charts. And in particular, the behavioral symptoms, the difficulty regulating emotion. Okay. And they stop having severe temper tantrums when you take out the dyes. But it's got to be, you know, the food allergy, and same thing with food allergies. Yeah. It's a subset of kids with ADHD that have some food sensitivities, but you remedy those and their behaviors settle down. Here's the deal. That takes, it takes a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of work. Yeah. And as a parent, you have to stay on it. Yeah. And your kid has to be willing to stay on it. And you have to weigh that with medication. Yeah. That medication can also make a difference. But for some kids, getting rid of those will make a similar difference uh -huh. in, the, uh -huh. in those behaviors. Bringing it back to the physiological fact of it, of the, of the, of the condition. Right. Well, it, and, and there's a higher incidence of food allergies, allergies in general. Yeah. In kids and adults with ADHD. Yeah. Which, you know, I've really gotten to the point, uh, just bring it back to myself again. <laughs> Yeah. That if I don't eat processed foods, I'm, I am, my life works better. If oh, I yes. And somebody turned me on to that several years ago and it was just like, yeah, that makes sense. I guess, you know, yeah, it makes a ton of sense. You know, the, all these processed foods that who knows what they put in. I mean, the labels say one thing, but I'm finding out that there are things that, that they don't even allow in Europe that we just take for granted here. That's right. That the United we do States. allow. Yeah. And it's part of the uh, American diet. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, if ADHD were to be renamed today, the focus would be more on the nervous system and not on attention. That it really is a highly sensitive nervous system. Yes. Oh God, that makes so much sense and a nervous system that has trouble regulating itself. So it has trouble regulating attention. It has trouble regulating sensory input. And for some, it has trouble regulating those substances that are non-natural. Right. But, you know, you hear people with ADHD talking about, can you hear the fluorescent lighting humming? 
Right. It's driving me crazy. Right. Or, you know, somebody's going tap, 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 tap. And they're like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, or they eat certain foods and their nervous system is like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or their nervous system is like, sluggish right yep yep zonked out wow okay so this is like i'm i'm seriously really evaluating my whole life and my kids lives and <laughs> I said in the beginning. um my mother my both of my parents were extremely healthy we never went to doctors we never talked about medical stuff so i am very uninformed about all of this stuff it's I, um so i am really i don't know that anybody on this planet is as uninformed as i am but maybe other people are too so i'm really appreciating this conversation holly because oh great i feel like i should know this stuff but it's just it no never... no you huh. as i said you've got so much company yeah yeah our our culture really has the culture has an allergy to ADHD yeah. <laughs> yeah. especially the American not culture. believing it yes yeah just, just not, go 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 yeah exactly yeah 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 um all right so at a certain point I asked you about this video um of Sir Ken Robinson talking about this little girl who was supposed who was diagnosed as ADHD and then she was taken to, uh, do, did you get to watch that? Yes, but yeah, remind and me, because it's slipped my mind now. That's okay. She, and so she was taking, her mother took her um, to another specialist. I forget what his, you know, specialization was, but he said, no, 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 look at her, the way she moves. And then he turned on some music and they left the room, but spied on her. And she was a dancer. And she right. grew up to be a dancer, but she was being punished because she couldn't sit still in her chair. So that right. actually, before I thought in this conversation, I was going to be kind of rude to you and say ADHD, come on, you know, just this other. But yeah, I could see how she still had ADHD, but that ADHD, if it's properly channeled, serves her. Absolutely. So Stephen Hinshaw, who is at UCSF and is one of the top researchers on ADHD, in particular ADHD in girls and inattentive ADHD. Um, <laughs> when he's asked the question, okay, is ADHD genetic or is it environmental? And he says, yes. yes. <laughs> He says it's genetic because we know that genes are implicated and it's hereditary and, and it's as heredit, it's as inheritable as height. Yeah. Wow. But height is our, also affected by nutrition. Sure. That ADHD doesn't exist if you don't have compulsory education. Oh gosh. <laughs> Wow. Wow. So yes, it wow. is. It is truly a 
neurological condition. It happens to become a disability in a culture that has compulsory education. Wow. Wow. And so, you know, if we had schools that provided movement breaks for all students routinely, it would benefit everybody. Everybody. But for those kids with ADHD, they'd be able to sit for a little bit and get some of that paper pencil work done. Mm. But the other is, you know, programs like they have at uh, Redwood High School, Tamascal, where kids go to school for a short, very short day, very uh -huh. short period of time in the week, uh -huh. and most of their work independent studies, which uh -huh. with ADHD can be kind of hard to do, but it's possible uh -huh. with supports. Uh -huh. And they spend the rest of their time doing something they love doing. Right. So it could be work. It could be, you know, a career type work, or it could be um, uh, a hands-on training program that they're doing, right. like um, uh, forging steel, you know, into things, or dancing, yeah, or singing. Hey, so I just want to take a moment here to acknowledge that this conversation is one more reminder that there are so many educators who focus on drawing out the best that is within children. And I want to let you know that I'm starting to put together a pilot program to teach a small group of educators an approach that I developed when I was a full-time teacher that consistently drew out the best from my students around the full spectrum of their social their emotional and their life skills development. Even from my most reluctant, ornery, rebellious students, the so-called troublemakers. And it was never difficult, but it did take making intentional use of some basic human instincts that are born right into all of us, including all the kids in our care, and which I have never seen utilized in any other SEL approaches. And I have been checking out all the SEL approaches. So if you're interested, and by that I mean if you'd just like to be on the list to learn about when the pilot program is getting ready to be shared with an adventurous group of teachers, then connect with me, please, on the Big Picture Social Emotional Learning Podcast Facebook page uh, on that with that group. Uh, just you'll figure out how to just, you know, join that group and then uh, private message me, I guess. It. I want you to know that it's not going to be expensive, but it will introduce you to a next level way for young kids to show up with more of their own problem-solving skills and for them to effortlessly stretch beyond their own self-limiting behaviors and readily manifest more of their natural built-in abilities to connect with others you know, to get along with others, which is what we all want for them. Okay, hope to connect with you soon. Let's get back to where we left off in the conversation. My son, who has ADHD and dyslexia, was used to be on panels of students and young adults with learning differences, learning disabilities, 
who spoke about their experiences. So he's very um, uh, open about having these disabilities. So I have his permission to about him. So I'm not talking behind his back. Um, yeah. yeah, he has a, a difficult time sitting down and reading, well, the dyslexia and the ADHD, reading and doing papers. Um, it got easier over time because developmentally, the reward system of the brain of some with ADHD continues to develop and gets better. And so he was able to go to the community college and get a handful of AAs actually and have a 3.8 GPA. But that guy can referee six soccer games in a day or go to a tournament like he did this summer and referee 36 soccer games in two weeks and be one happy camper. Wow. That is not attention deficit. Right. <laughs> right. But give him something boring to do. Right. Woo, hard for him to concentrate on it. You so yeah, that little girl, that little girl, and yeah. you watch her dance. Right, right. Give her, you know, this goes to something else that is so important, which is that, you know, on the one hand, you want to remediate and strengthen the deficits with any kind of learning challenges. But on the other hand, spend a lot of time on things that kid loves yeah and reinforce them and make sure that that kid gets the expertise right going in some area that is exciting to them because yeah. that's what their career will their career will be and it won't be on math worksheets right right Right. And so then, you know, again, you know, one word that I bring up in this podcast a lot is respect, respecting the child, seeing the child, mm -hmm. hearing who is, what is that child saying that comes from inside? Who is that really? And for me as a teacher, that was always the most rewarding thing. And yeah. I, wanted, yeah, I wanted to give it because I never got it. You know, and I know uh, people feel that way. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. But it's, it's, it's key, you know, because what we know, I mean, in the therapy world, what the research shows is it's not the modality of therapy that matters. It's the relationship. Exactly. That if it's a good relationship, if the, Exactly. person who is coming to therapy feels like it's a good relationship they grow and change yes and so absolutely you know for teachers to emphasize good relationships with their yes. students yes and really working with that student that gets under their skin that annoys the hell out of them <laughs> yes. figure out a way to enjoy that kid or as a parent if you happen to have a child that just gets under your skin you know, what do they love to do and that you love to do that you can do together more of 
whether it's put together a jigsaw puzzle or go for a run or play that game where you slap hands, you know, anything that is going to get laughs and connection is going to serve that kid's nervous system as well as their identity, as well as their relationships in the future. It's all about relationships. It's all about relationships. And one other thing that I found in the classroom was that I had to stop my internal judging of my most troublesome students and just get quiet in myself. I don't know how I had the sense to do that, but I did it Mm. enough where students could see that I just saw them. I wasn't judging them. I wasn't disliking them. I was just seeing how frustrated they were or how, and I wasn't saying anything. I just, you know, that relationship thing can be wordless even, actionless even, but it's just when we're not- feeling. It's a feeling that has to happen inside ourselves first so that we can be open to who they are and we're all reading each other's minds, wouldn't you agree? We're all picking up on each other, not not the words, but the the you know the emotions. Thinking, yeah, emotions are contagious. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and that's you know for our kids with ADHD that have trouble self regulating and are intense and have intense reactions to things, they have big emotions. It's really hard as a parent and as a teacher not to get triggered by that. Yes. But when we as adults get triggered, then we escalate the nervous system, the trouble in that little kid's nervous system. Yeah. And they escalate. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. And, and so, um, Let's talk about another resource that you gave me about, let's see, uh, dysphoria was the last word. Oh, rejection sensitivity dysphoria. Wow. Yeah, that's a mouthful. That's a mouthful. I kept going back because I saw the acronym and then I had to go back. What does that stand for again? (laughs) But, and it even defines dysphoria as a pain that's just almost too unbearable and there's no words for it. And it was just fascinating. So rejection, sensitivity, dysphoria. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to have your interpretation of that because that, that just broke my heart. I can think of students and people in my life that you see them, the, there was a shame element about it and a covering up that happens and, and all of that. And it's just, wow, if we can know what's going on with others around us. So yeah, I'm so grateful yeah. for the conversation, Holly. So yeah. So yeah, it's, it's like, it's like, um, not everybody with ADHD, but many with ADHD, it's like they have a real, you know, a, a Geiger counter, a really sensitive Geiger counter uh-huh. that will will pick up actual or perceived uh-huh. rejection. Uh-huh. Just if there's an iota of it, yeah, or a hint of it, or a possibility of it, uh-huh. and it lands on them with such heaviness, and they have as you said, pain 
you know, such deep pain around it. And they either go into a, you know, a dark depression or anger, rage sometimes. How dare you not like me? Or how dare you reject me? How dare you leave me out? And even little kids, little, little kids will be showing this. Okay. Go yeah. On. Yeah. Okay. And then the thing that is confusing to adults is that that kid can be so sunk and an hour later be laughing and playing. Oh. Sometimes it sticks around for a day or two mm -hmm. or three. <clears throat> okay. But often it's an intense reaction. And then when the environment shifts, they shift out of it. So okay. it's not, it's not like it's a, it's a nervous system reaction, but it's not your typical kind of depression, but it is definitely a very sunk. It's like an elevator crashing, very sunk, very fast uh -huh. place that they go to. That's and word dysphoria. Yes. Okay. Excuse me for interrupting. Go on. Yeah. No, and it's just, it's just so important that, you know, those around somebody with ADHD, but particularly the person or child with ADHD, understand that their brain just has this heightened sensitivity to heightened. rejection. Yeah. And that um, sometimes they're not even being rejected but right. they perceive it as rejection and then they react to it as if it's rejection. And then they, get, they anticipate that they anticipate rejection and then right. they get rejected. Right. Because of their reactivity. So yeah. how can we help somebody, a child like that, who, who goes into that tailspin like on the playing field they don't get chosen to be on the four squares I mean what can the teacher do to help well you know our tendency is to want to say ah it's not that big a deal right or why are you making a mountain out of a molehill ah. well their brain's making a mountain out of a molehill right so it's really helpful to say you know, to validate the bigness of what you see the emotional reaction is, to validate, wow, that really hurt you. Yeah. That really hurt you deeply. It's a big feeling that you're having. Yes. And to give them some comfort. You know, if I was feeling rejected, I'd be really upset too. Right. So you're not necessarily validating the reaction. That, well, the, uh, yeah, the intensity, you know, or that the crime was that big. Right, I see. But it's, we've got this tendency to say, oh, she didn't really mean that, as if oh. that's going to make the kid feel better, yeah. rather than it may be that she, you know, that the, that the other child didn't reject them. Right. It was just, it was misperceived. But their brain is in fight, flight, or freeze. Right. And 
trying to talk rationally to them when their rational brain's been hijacked by their amygdala, right. their emotional brain is just, it's going to be like fingernails on a chalkboard. It's just going to be more stimulation that they can't handle. So, you know, helping them to get to a quiet place where there's not a bunch of kids watching them fall apart. Beautiful. Um, being, you know, having a gentle, soft voice with them. Mm -hmm. Not saying a lot. Ah. Because that's just more stimulation when their brain's overloaded. Not fixing it. Not fixing it. Got it. It's not fixable in the moment. Got it. And, you know, when they start to settle down to see if they can shift gears by, you know, would you like some crayons and paper to draw? Oh. You want to draw, you know, or if they're still upset, the paper and crayons to draw your feelings. Um. Would you like a stuffed animal to hold right now? You know, something that is physical, uh, nurturing, um, or expressive non-verbally. You know, I've seen it work with kids when it's repetitive and, and when there's an adult that gets to witness over and over these kinds of reactions Mm -hmm. that can be really helpful with a child when they're not upset to sit down and come up with a chart of things that help them feel better when they're feeling bad. So things like a stuffed animal, um, particular song that they love, uh, a particular friend they like to hang out with. For one little boy, it was chewing ice chips, <laughs> calmed him down. Ice cubes, if you could get a hold of them, but they're not good for your teeth. <laughs> so his mom gave him ice chips. Yeah. Um, for some kids, it's wrapping up in a blanket real tight, yeah. settles down their nervous system. Sure. So it's coming up and then putting it in a, in a, um, you know, having the, like laminating it or in a sleeve, plastic sleeve and having it available so -hmm. that when they're falling apart, you don't have to talk to them. You can just hand it to them so they can point to what it is they want that will settle down their nervous system. Oh, oh, oh gosh. I knew it would be good for all kids and all of us as adults. I mean, think of us as adults when we can't think straight, when the cat's got our tongue, when, you know, there's no words that to have a sheet of things that, you know, six to nine things that make us feel better and our beloved hands us our sheet and we look, we point to hug. Yeah. And they give us a big bear hug. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Wow, that is so beautiful. I mean, yes, there are times when something hits me really hard. And then I, you know, I do have some tools, you know, techniques or breathing or this, but I have to remember them. And I have to remember to write them. <laughs> right. I had them written down somewhere, you know, but oh, or, if it, or if it was a picture and not a word. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. If it was a visual. 
Yes. It's like that yep. registers when we're upset. Oh, words God. not so readily. I love it, Holly. Yeah. What wisdom. What wisdom. So you, this is what you do. This is how you, this is your gift in the world. What, who do you serve? I work with the kiddos, the parents. Um, and I found over the years that really I can make a bigger difference working with the parents uh-huh, sure. And helping them to understand their child and translate the behavior and figure out how to respond. Um, you know, so that a parent isn't so reactive right. to what looks like misbehavior on the child's part. Yeah. You know, the child that has the automatic no. Yeah. You know, it's time to empty the dishwasher. Why do I have to empty the dishwasher? <laughs> uh-huh. And with ADHD, if you just put that invisible pink duct tape over your mouth as a parent for five minutes, often that kid with ADHD that says, why do I have to do it? If you stay quiet, we'll go over and empty the dishwasher. <sighs> After they've processed the, yeah, okay. But our tendency is to say, get over there and empty that dishwasher right now. Right. <laughs> and then they say no. And then it and just it, escalates. Right, right. Um, and it gets off track. So, you know, so I find that working with the parents to help them come up with experiments to run mm -hmm. to see if certain ways of parenting work better with their particular child mm -hmm. um, and meet with, the, you know, I can meet with the child enough times to get a sense mm -hmm. of how the child is. Sometimes I meet with the parents and the child together. Mm -hmm. I've gone with parents to school meetings to get services, to get supports and accommodations at school or to help the school understand their child. Um, and that's a, another key is there it is environmental. Right when the environment understands the child, the child has an easier time. It's not letting the child off the hook. It's really right. finding a way to educate the child that works for their brain. Right. So, um, and I work with uh, teenagers, young adults and adults and couples when one or both have ADHD, the whole age range. I love it. Yeah. The lifespan of ADHD. <laughs> Beautiful. So, when you're working with uh, with your different, do shall I call it clients? Or? Sure. Yes. So, let's say you are working with a parent of a kindergarten kindergartner. How how long uh, will you be working with them typically? Oh gosh, that really varies. In fact, I was working with um, a parent, a mom and a dad of a kind of, of a kindergartner last year, uh -huh. where the dad was so triggered by his son's difficulties uh -huh. and emotional reactions, uh -huh. and emotional intensity. And, you know, as we got to talking, it turns out the dad has symptoms of ADHD. 
and he was punished as a kid mm-hmm. harshly. Mm-hmm. And that was his tendency with his son was to slide into punishment. So, you know, some parent education and they were out the door in, I don't know, it was like maybe 10 or 12 sessions. Then there's another boy who I started working with as a kindergartner. He's now going into seventh grade this year. And he has ADHD and ASDs on the spectrum also. And um, I've gone through working every week with him and his parents to every other week. But he has, you know, complex ADHD, ADHD and and other challenges along with it. Mm -hmm. So if, you know, there's, there's a big difference between 10 or 12 sessions versus, you know, a handful of years. (laughs) But it, it really depends on what the goals are and what the child is struggling with and what the family's struggling with and what the parents are struggling with. Right. And um, how long have you been doing this? Well, I've been licensed since 1979. Wow. Yeah. As a marriage and family therapist. But before that, in 1974, 75, I worked for Mono County Office of Education. There was a license then, state license as a school psychometrist, state credential as a school psychometrist. And I did the testing for kids in special ed. And I that's where I learned about ADHD. I see. So that was, you know, that was a lot of decades ago. <laughs> A lot of decades ago, and and the reason I'm asking you this is because I wanted to hear, in the years that you've been doing this, how has your education expanded and deepened? What what have you seen the field do to be more and more enriching for for you to provide more for your clients? Yeah. Yeah, you know, back when I was doing testing for kids and working with the the parents and the kids in the schools. Um, ADHD, you know, the inattentiveness in school was what was focused on. Right, right. That was, that was the big kahuna. Right. And, you know, now we understand it as really a self-regulation disorder. Um, but the awareness, it's been slow coming uh-huh. in this culture, the awareness uh-huh. of what ADHD is and what it isn't and how debilitating it can be um, and, it's and not how serious it can be, right? And it's not just an excuse. Right. You know, um, so the evolution and, and, you know, we didn't know about the genetics of ADHD back then. Right. We suspected it because you could see it in family lines, but really the being able to understand the science of ADHD has changed 
um, the ability to advocate for folks with ADHD. Yes. For the services that they need. Yeah. Fantastic. And it's not just some choice that some kids making to not pay attention in school. <laughs> to make your day miserable. Right. And his own day miserable. No, that's not yeah. it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So can you do this remotely or you do you just have to be? Oh, yeah. You can. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I see people live and remotely these okay. days. Okay. Yeah. I, I love, love, love your heart, Holly. Ah. Uh. <laughs> so um, people, you do you have a website? You know, I'm on Psychology Today. Okay. You can find my listing there. I never put together a website. I never needed to for my practice. Good. It would be a good thing to do because it would educate people before they came in to see me. Uh, but no, I yeah. don't. Well, we will list that in the show's notes. But do you want to say what that is just now? Psychology, go to psychologytoday.com. Right. And then just look up Holly Searley. Right. Look up under providers. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And look up Holly Searley. Yes. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. What else should we be sure? Well, to um, two things. One is that, um, you know, you and I talked about, we had so much to talk about, we might want to talk again. Yeah. And so I'm just thinking if anybody has questions, if they can send them in to you, okay. it would be really fun to take those questions and answer them about ADHD. I would love that another time I just I love the questions that people come up with yes there's you know it just it's stimul it's very stimulating <laughs> <laughs> and 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 I have ADHD so right right <laughs> right right so I, you know I here I was working in the schools with ADHD and then my son who's adopted so there wasn't the genetic question but, and here I was specializing in ADHD and a good friend of mine and I went to the ADHD conference and in our layover at an airport, we sat in the cafe right next to our gate. We got so immersed in our conversation. We missed our flight. We went to the gate and the woman said, we called your name three times. Wow. And we said we were sitting. 10 feet away. Wow. We didn't hear it. And we were cracking up. And my friend Linda said to me, are you sure that you too don't have ADHD? She has ADHD. So are <laughs> you sure you don't have ADHD given what you've described? And I said, I don't think so. And, <laughs> and then we were laughing about how two professionals going to an ADHD conference <laughs> miss their flight because they're immersed in conversation, not paying attention. And the woman, you know, said, booked us on another flight. She said, you know, it's going to cost $75 each. She booked us on another flight. And then she said, I'm not charging you. I overheard you talking. My grandson was just diagnosed with ADHD. Oh. Bless you. Goosebumps, goosebumps. Yeah, isn't oh. that sweet? Beautiful, beautiful. So sweet. So, but the other thing that I wanted to, before, before we wrap up to say is that there's several people who speak 
and write on ADHD who are my gold standard of who I turn to and who I've learned so much from. Yes. And, um, you know, one of them is Stephen Hinshaw, H-I-N-S-H-A-W. Yes. At UCSF. And yes. another is Roberto Olivardia. Roberto Olivardia. He's at uh, Harvard Medical School. He has ADHD and talks about it. He's delightful, so smart. And he talks about co-occurring conditions with ADHD, of which usually ADHD comes along with other neurological differences. Okay. Um, Thomas Brown, who used to head up the adult ADHD clinic at Yale, who's now retired from that and lives in Los Angeles and has a practice there. Thomas Brown, Thomas E. Brown. Okay. So smart. Russell Barkley, who really brought ADHD and the seriousness of it onto the scene culturally. And he's he tracks the research around ADHD and has done research on ADHD. He's retired now, but his, he's on YouTube. You can catch some of his things on YouTube. They're depressing because he was one of the first people to talk about this nine to 13 year, stu the study that showed the nine to 13 year earlier death rate for yeah. folks with ADHD, you know, we don't like to hear this stuff, right? but it's important because then we can figure out what to do about it. Exactly. Yeah. So Russell Barkley and then Melissa McCabe, M-C-C-A-B-E on YouTube. She has a series called How to ADHD. And she has become so popular. She's been able to hire a researcher to make sure that what she's sharing is accurate. She has ADHD. She's very open about it. She's a delight, very entertaining, talks very, 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 very fast and very, very animated. And you would think that she's a teenager, but she's, I think now in her forties, uh -huh. but she's really a lot of fun and talks about things like anxiety and emotional regulation, all of these um, symptoms that aren't part of the diagnostic criteria, official diagnostic criteria, but which experts in ADHD know comes with the territory. Which I thought was interesting in the reading you gave me, the emotional stuff isn't in the diagnostic and the research because you have to be there when it's happening. And that's something that uh, isn't usually possible. Right. Because right. things trigger it and you can't say, okay, trigger that now. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Show, show it to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Meltdown now. <laughs> right. 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 And also uh, the writing of Mark Katz. I really appreciate Right. Yeah. His writing also. Yeah. Very yeah. clear. Very clear. Yep. Wonderful. Um, I have. Oh, just... and, and Harvey Parker. Okay. Yeah, he's an old timer in the field. Okay. 
Woo! <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Holly. Um, I hope that people will connect with us and, and contact me through the podcast and give us some questions that we could either just, I could just read them to you or they could be part of the podcast. I would just love that if teachers would do that with us. That would be great. You know, let's increase the awareness and the and the community and the supportive community so that yeah. we all benefit. Yeah. 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 So, you know, teachers, parents, teenagers, if they happen to listen to this, you know, anybody who's got some questions about ADHD and they send them to you, we can answer them. So, I mean, you know, I think I keep thinking one final question, but one thing that I'm wondering, is there anybody that doesn't have ADHD? What are they like? I mean, now that I'm certain that I have it, you know, and I never considered it before this conversation. I mean, who well, doesn't have ADHD? <laughs> well, it's it's a matter of, it. it is on a continuum. Right. The symptoms, each of the symptoms. So, you know, somebody could have a lot of hyperactivity and impulsivity and their ability to pay attention is not so impaired. I've not seen that yet, but theoretically it's possible. <laughs> but, but the symptoms uh, you know, are on a continuum separate, separately. So it's not like if you have severe ADHD, all the symptoms are severe, not necessarily. Got it. Um, but it's a matter of how impairing is it? So uh -huh. it's sort of like high blood pressure. You know, we had that change in criteria of what marked the edge of healthy blood pressure into unhealthy blood uh -huh. pressure. Uh -huh. And when that came down was a lower number, what that edge was, all of a sudden, a whole ton of people had high blood pressure that didn't have high blood pressure before. Yeah. It wasn't that all of a sudden they got sick. It was a matter of, we realized that what had been the criteria needed to be dropped lower because there was impairment in people with this range of high blood pressure. Well, the same thing's true with ADHD. It's a matter of impairment. How impairing are the symptoms right in what way are they getting in the way of living your life and being effective your clarity is just such a gift to all of us holly thank you so much i just You're welcome loved this conversation thank you thank you thank you see you soon i hope okay okay Lots of love. Thank you. Bye. You too. Bye. <laughs>I already have so many more questions. There is definitely going to be a follow-up episode. So really, um, any questions you have, just come on over to the Big Picture Social Emotional Learning Podcast Facebook page, like it, and then you can put in any questions you'd like me to include in the next episode. And also, uh, you could write them to me or you could be 
uh, or record them, or you could be a quick guest on the show, whatever you'd like. If you would like to still tell stories of your experiences with children with ADHD, anything, anything, we'd love it. Also in the show's notes, you're going to see that there are links to a lot of what she told us about, plus the Ken Robinson video that I briefly um, mentioned. Okay, I think that's it. Uh, Yeah, see you on Facebook, hopefully, and see you for the next episode, which is also going to be fascinating. That's the only kind of conversations I like to have on this podcast. Uh, You'll see it's about children's creativity and really sparking it and giving them many opportunities to express their own creativity. All right, until next time. Thank you.